Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, where every week I take a look into the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and welcome for those who are watching on Facebook Live. Welcome to those who might be watching or listening on the download. I figured I'd be doing a um, special live show tonight uh, for those who are watching live you know that uh, this past week I wrapped up my run of the Daily Diamond Morning Show. Uh, but I wanted to do a top 10 list for this week's show. And I, I wanted to do something a little bit different than what we've done with previous top 10s. I know on the Daily Diamond, we recently did top five Disney villains. And it kind of got me to thinking, you know, when it comes to really all mediums, I'm not talking about just film and television, but villains have always been the most intriguing um, aspects of storylines to me, more often than not, you know, and I, I um, yeah, Wade Vatican, who's watching in the chat, yes, sad morning it was, yeah, it is sad, but, you know, I, I will still be doing a list on occasion here on the show, so it's not going to completely go away. It's just not going to be as frequent as a Monday through Friday. But um, yeah, I figured, you know, we would do a, a top 10 villain list because it got me to thinking not just with Disney specifically, but there have been so many great villains throughout um, the history of film and television. And I wanted to, to talk about that. So uh, for those who haven't, um, who never got to see an episode of the Daily Diamond or you haven't watched a top 10 list for uh, this show yet, essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to read off my top 10, explain why my choices are the way they are, and then I posted a thread on Facebook um, earlier today talking about, you know, if you want to leave your list here, I'll read them on the show. And if you haven't done that yet, you can feel free to leave it in the chat here on Facebook, and I will read those as well. But hopefully, uh, I know for those who might live in you know my neck of the woods in Pensacola, Florida, if you're watching live, hopefully you guys are staying safe. I know we have uh, Tropical Storm Cristobal uh, going through our area right now, and I actually just got back from a friend's birthday get-together, and it was not too bad as far as the... Um, the weather goes, but it has been a steady rain here for a bit. So hopefully you guys are uh, staying safe because it's one of those things like I don't really like driving in the rain anyway, but especially when it's something like this, it, I, I really prefer not to, not to be out in it. I prefer to just stay indoors, but you know, growing up in Florida and growing up around, you know, hurricanes hitting here you know because back when I was a kid back in you know the in the 90s we had Hurricane Aaron Hurricane Opal you know we had Ivan in the early 2000s we've had several others that I haven't mentioned but it, it kind of I don't want to say it scared me but it made me very cautious about traveling and being out in that type of weather so I will be um, I will be staying put for the evening, but um, as I said, I'm going to go through my uh, top 10 list here, and um, for those who didn't listen to last week's episode, I will be, um, I'll save this for the end of the show so I can get through 
my list through everyone's list, and then I'll talk about uh, some of the things that will be changing uh, with the podcast for those who didn't listen to, to last week's show. So what I wanted to do was discuss top 10 villains in film and television. Now, I didn't necessarily restrict myself to one villain per franchise. Normally I do, but this one I'm leaving a little more um, a little more open because I do have two different Star Wars villains on my list. Um, and it was interesting because reading through the list that were left uh, on the Facebook thread, it got me to thinking there were some villains that I didn't even think about that I had to include in my top 10, which you'll, you'll hear um, as we progress. But I wanted to list off my uh, honorable mentions real quick. Uh, Agent Smith from the Matrix trilogy would be on there. I thought Hugo Weaving did a phenomenal job taking essentially a very dry character and making him pretty menacing. And to me, he was the most interesting character of the original Matrix film. Now, I, I'm not a huge fan of the sequels, though I am very curious to see what they do with this fourth one coming up. But the original Matrix was a, a landmark in filmmaking, mostly due to visual effects. You know, it introduced bullet time, uh, you know, slow motion fighting and things like that. Or it really put slow motion fighting on the map, I should say. And people I know that are a bit younger than me that didn't watch that movie when it came out, they'll watch it and say, ah, it wasn't really that great. But you got to look at it for what it actually is, the time it was released, and what it meant to filmmaking, because it, ref it revolutionized a style. And I still, uh, the thing with me is that despite all the visual effects, I still go back to the characters, and Agent Smith was my favorite character. I mean, I know he was very dry, but that made him kind of intriguing to me because he was essentially a computer program, and then in the sequels, he went rogue and created multiple copies of himself and eventually took over the entire Matrix. And I, I credit all of that to Hugo Weaving's performance as that character. I, I personally loved Agent Smith. Another honorable mention for me would be Michael Myers. I didn't grow up with the original Halloween films. I didn't actually see... I've watched the first three. And I know three hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with one and two. But I watched one and two and three, but we're talking about Michael Myers here. I watched the first two, honestly, because we were reviewing them on an episode of Nerd Cave Retro. And I'd never seen the movies before, but... I figured, why not? And I was told to watch three first because it had nothing to do with one and two. But I loved the the very like silent stalker aspect of Michael Myers. And a, a credit to that has to be the score by John Carpenter. That fast, you know, dun 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 I feel like when Michael Myers is watching who's going to be his next victim... If that song wasn't playing in the background, it would not have had nearly the same effect. But that being said, Michael Myers' backstory and the fact that you know he shows no expression because he's wearing a mask. And he's very slow and methodical, but he's at the right place at the right time. And then it's almost like, boom, he just comes out of nowhere and then 
you know, cut someone to shreds. I, I thought that was a, a, a pretty awesome aspect. And I, I actually, I dug the first Halloween film quite a bit. The second one was okay. You know, I, I still enjoyed it, but I actually prefer Halloween 3 to, to Halloween 2. And, you know, spoilers for those who haven't seen it. I thought the aspect of making, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's character the sister of Michael Myers was really pointless. Like, it didn't really have that emotional grab to me. I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Um, another honorable mention for me would be Scar from The Lion King. And I, I've talked about this before, but. Most people know The Lion King is loosely based off of Hamlet and Scar being the evil uncle who takes over uh, after he murders his brother and exiles his nephew outside the Pride Lands. I loved, and again this goes back to the performance by the actor, Jeremy Irons just had that perfect voice, that almost type of like raspy British type of style. I... I loved, loved Scar, and he's he's up there, him, Jafar, and another choice that actually made my top ten will, will be my favorite Disney villains. Jafar would be another one as well, um, just the fact that he was able to conquer Agrabah from within, and eventually his lust for power was his undoing. But I, I don't know the guy who was the voice of Jafar in the animated version, but I like the animated version a lot better than the live action. And I actually was a big fan of the live action adaptation, but the guy who played Jafar, I thought, was was the weak point of that film. That being said, I still like the qualities of Jafar. You know, he was able to earn the Sultan's trust, and you knew that he was up to no good. And he conquered from the inside out. And I just, I thought that was a, a brilliant tactic. Uh, but my last honorable mention would be, and I haven't seen this movie in forever, so if I don't pronounce his name right, I apologize, but Kaiser Soze. Um, I just think the fact that you know, he used that quote, the greatest trick the devil pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And, I don't want to really support you know, Kevin Spacey as far as like the stuff he's done, but man, that that character was just absolutely brilliant, and that twist at the end was was phenomenal. So that would be um, that would be my honorable mentions. Let's see if there's anything going on uh, here in the chat. Uh, Bill asks if Jar Jar is, technically, I mean, he was the reason why the galaxy fell to the empires because he voted to give emergency powers to, um, uh, Palpatine. Let's see, um, Wade, yes, Verbal Kent Academy Award winning performance. And yes, Wade does know who, who the Disney villain is that, that made my top ten. Um, yeah, Freddy Krueger is another great one. I'm actually more a fan of The Nightmare on Elm Street, like the original, like, original two movies. I thought New Nightmare was, was meta enough to where it, it was, it was pretty cool, but, um, wait, I see your, your list here. I'll, um, I'll save that for when we get to, uh, the viewers list, but let's see what we got here.
Uh, my number 10, and I might get flack for this, but I actually think he's a very intriguing character, is Kylo Ren from the sequel trilogy of Star Wars films. Because if you really think of Kylo Ren and what his mindset has to be, well, number one, he killed his dad in cold blood. That is enough of a reason to put him at near the top of any villain list. But you think about the expectation that he had to live up to from being, um, you know, the son of Leia and the nephew of Luke Skywalker and this pressure on him to be the star pupil of Luke Skywalker and help create this new generation of Jedi. And then he was pulled in this other direction by Snoke. And just the, the pressure that he had to have felt, and I, I, I really credit Adam Driver, and I respect him much more now as an actor for uh, after seeing Marriage Story, but I really like what he brought to the table with Kylo Ren. And I... Uh, I don't necessarily have an issue with how the film ended, but I think another interesting idea would have been to have Kylo slash Ben survive the end of Rise of Skywalker and his way of redemption is carrying on the Skywalker name. Because if you think about it, even though Rey took the Skywalker name, the bloodline is done because Luke is gone, Leia is gone, and now Ben is gone. I think it would have been an interesting situation had Ray sacrificed herself to save Ben, and then Ben decides he's going to revitalize the Jedi Order as a path of redemption because he's done all this wrong throughout the last several years. And I, I don't know the amount of time that takes place between when he first becomes Kylo Ren to The Force Awakens, but... He's obviously done some some pretty terrible things, including, as I said, killing his father. Uh, my number nine is Loki from the Thor series and also the Avengers. He was the villain of the original Avengers film. To me, he was the first great villain of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there have been some good ones. Like, I actually liked uh, Jeff Bridges as Ironmonger in the original Iron Man, but... Loki is the villain that most everyone will say that they love because you love to hate him. Like, yeah, he's a villain, but he's so dang charming in a way that you you can't necessarily hate him. And again, and this is going to be a, a constant throughout the this list, but the performance that Tom Hiddleston gave to the Loki character, and there's a reason why he kept coming back. And there's a reason why, you know, essentially he was brought back to life in Endgame. And now he's going to have his own Disney Plus series, which I'm very curious to see. I mean, with the, the rumors that I've read about it and him possibly going throughout different points in time and changing time to fit his image makes me think of a little bit of Legends of Tomorrow as far as the time travel aspect goes, but... I know I'm I'm excited for it, and I, I think you know that's Tom Hiddleston's best role that I've seen him in. I, to me, he was a highlight of all the films that he's been in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's one of those things. As I said, they keep bringing him back because when Loki shows up, 
you pay attention to it. Was he was to me borderline being overused, but I'm I'm okay with him having his own series just because I'm interested to see what they do with it. You know, I'm interested in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm interested in WandaVision. Plus, these will have direct impacts on the film side of things and not necessarily like the Netflix series like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, where, yeah, they're in the same universe, but they don't they don't really affect the film side of things. Let's see what's going on here in the chat. Um, uh, Brandon Rutledge is watching. Good evening, Brandon. Thank you for joining. Hope you guys are uh, are all staying safe here here in this weather. Uh, my number eight is Hans Gruber from the original Die Hard, played brilliantly by the late great Alan Rickman. I loved Die Hard growing up. It was one of the few, you know, I won't say adult, but like R-rated movies that I could watch as a kid. There was this and Major League were the two that stood out to me. And I don't know where you guys stand on Die Hard being a Christmas movie. I technically say it is because it takes place during Christmas time. There are Christmas themes to it. But, you know, like, I I enjoyed the third Die Hard quite a bit, too. Adding Samuel L. Jackson to that, um, that dynamic was fun. But to me, there will be no better Die Hard movie than the original, and part of that has to do with the Hans Gruber character, just played so coldly and brilliantly by Alan Rickman. He played such a phenomenal villain, and you know, there's been se- several other great roles that he's been in, you know, when he played um, Severus Snape in Harry Potter, and I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan in the world, but I enjoyed his his scenes in that movie because I like him so much as an actor. And even though, you know, he's passed on, I still very much enjoy him. But to me, he's the ultimate, like, terrorist leader type of villain. And I I cannot get enough. Like, his scenes to me are the highlights. No, not on Bruce Willis, but that movie to me is great because of Alan Rickman and Hans Gruber. But my number seven is The Joker, played by several different actors, but the two that... I'll throw out there, well, I mean, you could even throw Mark Hamill in there too, but there have been more successful Jokers than there have been not successful. I know a lot of people don't like the Jared Leto interpretation. I'm personally one of those. But man, it's tough to say that, you know, Mark Hamill's not the definitive Joker. I know a lot of people love Heath Ledger. I did too, and I, I think... I think what's great about the Joker character is that all the different actors bring something different to the table. You know, I, I like to think Mark Hamill is that maniacal Joker that's pulled straight out of the comic books. Jack Nicholson is the gangster turned into the Joker. Heath Ledger is that unknown background and is essentially an agent of chaos. And then you have Joaquin Phoenix, who you get to see the Joker's origin but there's also the theory that the Joaquin Phoenix Joker is not the Joker that Batman ultimately fights because he's so much older than who in the movie is a child Bruce Wayne. Because then if you think about it, that Joker would probably be, say, in his 50s 
by the time Bruce Wayne really becomes Batman. And you can, you know, I, I take that theory either way. I just look at it as a different interpretation of the Joker. I know there's supposed to be a sequel to it. I personally hope there's not because I think what DC needs to do is have those one-off stories like they did with the Joker. Like if they don't do a sequel to Wonder Woman or a second sequel, I'll be okay with that because to me, DC does not need to copy the Marvel formula. If they do just these one-off movies, like I would love to see, and I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but I'll just say this real quick and move on. I would love to see the Heart of Ice storyline from Batman be adapted into live action with a Mr. Freeze story. That, to me, would be nothing less than phenomenal. I, I would love that. But as far as my favorite interpretation of the Joker, I mean, I have a soft spot for Jack Nicholson because I loved that movie as a kid. But to me, it's, it's really close between Heath Ledger and Mark Hamill. Because to me, those are the two definitive Jokers. Because, I mean, they're, you can say they're separate because they're live-action animated, so you can kind of get away with that. But I, I love both. Like, it's honestly too close to call for, for me. Uh, let's see. Wade Vatican in the chat. Uh, just as long as it's still Hiddleston, I'm good with Loki Disney Plus series. Yes, Hiddleston will be back for that. Um, let's see. Funding, yeah, the rain almost put my cigar out when I was in the pool this afternoon. <laughs> uh, let's see, Bill, Joker has always been significantly older. Keith David is Freeze. Yeah, that would be that would be an interesting choice. I I would not uh, I, I would not be opposed to that. Fundin, you think the Donald will make it on this list someday? Um, honestly, yes. But we're we're strictly talking fictitious characters. I mean, real life villains would be uh, that's a whole whole separate discussion. But I I will say that Fund and I don't disagree with you. Let's see what we got here. Um, number six. So this is I got to give a credit to Brandon Rutledge for this because I read his list and I realized I had to put him on my list. Is Vince McMahon? or I should say Mr. McMahon from WWE television. Yeah, he's essentially based on Vince McMahon, the person, in a way, but wrestling is technically a television show, so you can include it. But I, I had to throw Mr. McMahon in there because when I was a kid, wrestling was a huge part of, you know, I won't say my background, but a huge part of my childhood in the sense that the... Mr. McMahon, Stone Cold Steve Austin storyline, to me, that and the Undertaker Kane storyline are the two best storylines that WWE has ever produced. And because with Austin McMahon, it was essentially because they would add other players. Like they added in Mick Foley as Dude Love. You added in Kane. You added in The Rock. You had the Big Boss Man. All these other, you know, wrestlers that. Vince would feed to Austin because Mr. McMahon wasn't a wrestler, and eventually they did have an actual one-on-one -on -one match. But to me, he represented the the upper crust 
American boss in a way. And the reason why that storyline worked so well is because Steve Austin represented the working class and everyone, you know, who hasn't at one point wanted to punch their boss in the mouth. And Austin did that. But I, I thought... I think Austin's career would not have been what it was were it not for the Mr. McMahon character. And even after their rivalry was over, you know, him essentially asserting his will and forming these groups and he would have his hand-chosen corporate champions to go after the good guys of the show played absolutely brilliantly by Vince McMahon. And to me, he's arguably the greatest wrestling villain of all time. And just being so entertained by all the stuff that would happen to him because most of the time he would get what was coming to him in the end. Like he would have the upper hand through quite a bit of whatever feud he was involved with, but he would always get his comeuppance at the end. It was it was amazing. Uh, let's see. Bill Lyons, real life villain, loaded tater tots. I'd be curious as to why loaded tater tots would be uh, on your list bill that that's very interesting i love loaded tater tots but let's see moving into the top five my number five is magneto played by both sir ian mckellen and michael fassbender in the x-men franchise so part of the reason why magneto is so high on my list is because of the the interaction with him and Charles Xavier, where they both want the same thing, they just have different tactics. Whereas Magneto wants to assert, he wants mutant kind to assert their will and say they are above humans, whereas Xavier wants to live in peaceful coexistence alongside humans. And the thing I loved about, you know, the Magneto character and it, it, it might be a little shocking for me to say this, but I would put Fassbender's performance probably equal to McKellen's. You know, with, with McKellen, I think a lot of his success was due to his chemistry with Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. But Michael Fassbender, I felt, stood out quite a bit on his own. Whereas, like I said, with Ian McKellen you look forward to those scenes with him and Charles Xavier because those two actors have such unbelievable chemistry that you just want to see it. And I'm not saying McAvoy and Fassbender didn't have good chemistry. But with the Magneto character, I liked Fassbender a little bit better when he was on his own. But just the fact that, you know, they were victims of the Holocaust and that's one of the reasons why they have such a hatred for humanity, and I think once the X-Men are brought into the MCU, I think that origin story is going to be changed, because it takes place in modern day, and I don't know if you're going to have Magneto be, you know, someone who is older and still have that Holocaust backstory, but I mean, they've changed, they've changed others' origin stories, so I think they are going to mess around with the X-Men a bit, but I think that's okay, but Man, anytime Ian McKellen and Michael Fassbender were on screen as Magneto, you just felt their pure hatred for humanity. And I I thought both actors played the, the parts brilliantly. 
Uh, let's see. Bill Lyons, oh, as far as the, the loaded tater tots. Um, they always overpower my self-control and add to the abundant yet distinguished jiggle. I mean, that that's kind of what uh, loaded tater tots do, is like once you have one, you just have to inhale all of them. But um, let's see what's next here. Oh, so number four is the T-1000 from Terminator 2 Judgment Day, played by Robert Patrick. And I actually saw T-2 before I saw T-1. And... You know, going back and watching T1, I thought Arnold was a great villain. So I saw where the concern was of making him the hero and then bringing in this new Terminator who isn't as physically imposing as Arnold is. But what we got was an absolutely great performance. Like, the T1000 does not say very much, but he speaks through his lack of facial expression and his just really intense look he has in his eyes. And I remember there's one part where I think they're in the the factory and the T-1000 just looks at Sarah and John and just shakes his finger like, no, no, no. Just little, and yeah, it's a little corny, but I I kind of liked it. But that, the concept of that villain for the time that movie was made was fantastic and those effects still hold up to this day and that movie was released in 1991 so i terminator 2 to me you can make the argument that it's one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time and part of that has to do with robert patrick's t1000 he's a very he's arguably the coldest villain that is on this list because he has no other emotion well, he really has no emotion, but his pure purpose is to carry out his mission, and you feel no real sympathy whatsoever for him, because, yeah, he's kind of one-dimensional, but it works for that character, and I, I, I love that movie so much, and the T-1000 is, is just phenomenal. So I take a swig of water here. My number three is Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Samantha Owens, who was uh, a regular on the Daily Diamond, she put Gaston in perfect description. He is the poster boy for toxic masculinity. And it's almost, and I take it as being kind of an over-the-top view of toxic masculinity, though I have uh, talked to other females who would strongly disagree with me on that one who I was actually interested in in college. And when she said she hated Gaston, I, I knew it was it was not meant to be. But it, Gaston is one of those characters that he's lovable in the sense that if you look at him the way I do, the fact that it's almost a satire of toxic masculinity, but especially with the live-action version, version, I should say, the fact that when he doesn't get what he wants, that being Bell, he loses it. He doesn't know how to handle it, and he becomes a psychopath. And LeFou says it during the mob song in the live-action version, I fear the real monster's released. Where it's not the Beast who is actually the monster, it's Gaston. And you see that transformation from 
someone who's so used to getting his way. And when he doesn't, he doesn't know how to handle it. So he's very emotionally immature and insecure. And to me, that's an interesting layer for a villain. And, of course, you know, he has the greatest Disney song of all time. So you can't, uh, you can't really fault him for that. Uh, let's see. Two more here. Number two is Thanos, first introduced in The Avengers, and of course is the primary villain in Infinity War and Endgame. And I've mentioned him before on my morning show, but what I love about Thanos is that he he has a very strong quality that, to me, every villain should have. But to for him, it was portrayed the most, whereas he feels like he is not the villain. By wanting to essentially eliminate half of the life in the universe because he wants to conserve resources because he feels like all planets and really the entire universe is overpopulated and using all the natural resources. So his his plan is to get the Infinity Gauntlet and all the Infinity Stones and he wants to eliminate half of life in the universe. And it's all at random to him. You know, it's the most fair way to do it is just by complete chance. You either survive or you don't. There's no bias shown whatsoever. And the fact that in Infinity War, he actually wins. And I remember the end of that movie when he's sitting, you know, on whatever planet he's on and he's overlooking his garden and he has that small smirk on his face. You're just like, holy crap. The villain won, and of course, you know, before that, when everyone, well, not everyone, but when those select few are starting to turn to dust, you look at Spider-Man and he says, I don't feel so good, and then just turns to dust. You could hear a pin drop in that theater, and normally with the bigger movies like that, people will stand up and clap, or they'll just applaud. None of that happened when Infinity War was released. Like, it was just dead silent. And no one really knew how to take it because normally you can hear conversations about the movie, you know, like passing through other people, you know, when you're trying to get outside the theater. But there was none of that. Like, it was just eerily quiet. And I thought that was kind of cool, actually. And then, of course, you know, there was... In, in Endgame, there's a different version of Thanos, but still essentially the same objective, kind of. But my number one is is Darth Vader. I, I was trying to think of a clever way to say it, but no, it's Darth Vader is my original because, yeah, he's a villain, but the prequels add... And people cannot the prequels, I'm not really here to say I like them or dislike them, but I think the prequels added that different layer to Vader. And some might say it kind of castrated him a bit, which to me, Rogue One really undid all of that. But I I personally liked seeing the backstory from Anakin Skywalker and seeing him essentially being portrayed as a victim of his own emotions because he couldn't handle not being in control and you could even see that in you know the the early iterations of the prequels where he wants things to be done a certain way and he thinks people should be forced to do what he wants 
and his lust for that is ultimately why he falls to the dark side. That and you know the the false pretense that he can protect Padme from dying due to this force vision that he had. But still, like there were so many cool moments. Like you know, I, I remember watching the original trilogy for the first time, and you just see this guy in full armor, heavy breathing. You don't know what he looks like, and you assume that he's just this pure agent of evil. And layers have been added to him due to that, you know, with the prequels, with Rogue One, and even with the the Darth Vader comic that's that's been going on. Like that's been some some really good storytelling, in my opinion. And you know, yeah, he's from my favorite film franchise of all time. But Vader is, um, oh, Bill, he had to start as an emo kid, right? Yeah, absolutely. But no, uh, Vader, Vader would be my number one. For, for that reason. And just the fact that, you know, I, I was legitimately afraid of him as a kid just because of the the heavy breathing and the, the deep voice and everything. So that's my uh, top 10 villains list. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And I know we've got uh, a few here on Facebook that we'll get into. And yeah, for those who are watching, um, even if you want to throw a few in the in the chat, I will uh, I will read them here on the show. Let's see. Wade Vatican has his here in the chat. He says uh, Gollum, Sauron, and Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Of course, Darth Vader from Star Wars. Norman Bates from Psycho, classic. Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. That's a really good one too. Uh, Team Iceland from D two, The Mighty Ducks. Specifically, Wolf Stinson. That guy was a jerk. And uh, Man from Bambi, a.k.a. the hunter who killed Bambi's mother. Actually listed as a um, pretty high on the list. I remember, I think it was the um, AFI did a list like a long time ago of top villains in film. And Man from Bambi was near the top. So it's... It's just interesting, the fact that a nameless face, really you could say that humanity was the villain in that movie. Uh, let's see what we got here on our list here. All right, so Brandon Rutledge, I have restricted myself to just one Disney villain, which was very hard to do. Honorable mentions, Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers trilogy, Mandark from Dexter's Laboratory, The Joker, only because there are too many good variations to choose from. Number 10, Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. N uh, 9, Dario Cuerto, or Cueto from Lucha Underground. 8, Yui Bull for making those awful video game adaptation films and beating up people who hated them. 7, Skylar from Heroes. 6, Loki from The Avengers. 5, The Canker Sisters from Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I've actually never watched that cartoon. 4, T-1000 from T-2 Judgment Day. Three is a tie with, with uh, Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine from the Star Wars franchise. He also says, do it. Two, Gaston from the animated Beauty and the Beast. And number one, Vincent Kennedy McMahon from the WWE in more than one way. So are you referring to the Mr. McMahon character or are you referring to the real life Vince McMahon character as well? I'm just very curious about that. Uh, Samantha Owens, honorable mention, Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. He would be in my honorable mentions as well. 
the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus, Lex Luthor from Smallville. I'll still make the argument that Michael Rosenbaum played the best Lex Luthor out of anybody. I, I will debate anyone on that. Uh, Raymond Reddington from The Blacklist, Kevin Wendell Crumb from Split, and the Lannisters from Game of Thrones. Ten, Professor Moriarty from Sherlock on Netflix. Phenomenal show. Nine, uh, Klaus Michelson from The Originals. Eight, Magneto, both actors. Seven, The Winter Soldier. Six, Heath Ledger's Joker. And since Tim Spivey happened to notice a slight inaccuracy in one of my previous top five lists, this time I'm going to say that numbers one through five are all Loki. That's phenomenal. Uh, Tim Spivey, speaking of Tim Spivey, honorable mentions, Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards, which is a movie I still need to see. Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Yeah, oh, I wanted to punch him in the face so bad. Benjamin Linus from Lost, and John Doe from Seven. Ten, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Of course, you know, rule number one, you do not talk about Fight Club. Nine is Loki. Eight, as I mentioned earlier on my honorable mentions, Kaiser Soze from The Usual Suspects. Seven, Kevin Wendell Crumb from Split. Six, Wilson Fisk from Daredevil. Man, Vincent D'Onofrio was a great kingpin. If they brought him in to be the kingpin and say like a Spider-Man movie, I would be like a kid in a candy store. I would geek out, well, not as much as when they brought back J.K. Simmons as Jameson, but I would geek out pretty hard. Five, Agent Smith from The Matrix. Four, Negan from Walking Dead. Three, Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. Two, Joker from The Dark Knight. And number one, Professor Moriarty from the Benedict Cumberbatch version of Sherlock. And our last list here on the Facebook thread from Bill Lyons. Number 10, Rita Repulsa from Power Rangers. Got to give her credit for always coming back for more. Nine, Long John Silver. Aye, aye, sir, from up at Treasure Island. <laughs> Eight, Sand from Star Wars. It's coarse, rough, irritating, and it gets everywhere. Uh, Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park. Six, Frieza from Dragon Ball Z. Five, Norm's Bar Tab from Cheers. Four, Slade Wilson from Arrow. That's another phenomenal one. Three, Fighter Planes from King Kong. Two, Mark Hamill's Joker. And number one, The Customers from Clerks and Clerks 2. I agree with that because they are all jerks. Uh, let's see what's going on here in the chat. Uh, Wade Vader was number two on the list from AFI. Hannibal Lecter was number one. Brandon says character and booker, LOL. Yeah, my, my thing with Vince McMahon is that I, I respect what he's done to put wrestling on the map. But I think what he's done over the last, I'd say 10 plus years has been very questionable to me. The downside of the, um, of the wrestling business was when stone cold became a bad guy and aligned himself with Vince McMahon and essentially undid years of storytelling. Uh, Wade Vatican, uh, Tyrion Lannister was freaking awesome. Brandon Rutledge, uh, some pickle effers gave us free eats and fun. And how about Jaws from the first Jaws movie? Yeah, I, I would I would put the original Jaws 
um, up there. I, I will admit, I've seen only bits and pieces of the sequels, but the original Jaws is, you know, a piece of cinematic history, and it's one of the greatest movies ever made. So, yeah, and Bill, yeah, Shark from draw from Jaws, not Draws, Jaws. Uh, Brandon Rutledge, we could probably talk hours about all the issues surrounding Vince McMahon. Yeah, that could be its own show, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and Bill, I'd put the mayor as the villain. Yeah, I mean, I- I've seen so many funny memes with that mayor. It's it's phenomenal. Oh, Jason Robbins has joined in. He says, hey, sorry I'm late. Welcome, Jason. Jason, if you want to throw in some of your favorite villains in the chat, I will. Uh, I'll read them real quick before um, I close out for uh, today's show, which we've gone, yeah, we've gone a little bit over 45 minutes. That I'd say that's, um, I'd say that's pretty good. And any suggestions that you guys have for, you know, other top 10 list that, um, that I'm going to do, let's see. Uh, oh, best villain ever, Gus Fring. Ooh, I, yeah, I didn't even think about Breaking Bad. Man, Gus Fring was a freaking badass, man. That that scene when he just completely cut that dude up in front of Walter and Jesse and then just, you know, cleans himself up, walks back to the top of the staircase and just like slowly turns and looks at Jesse and Walter and is like, "Well, back to work." Man, that that show was so freaking great. That if no one's watched Breaking Bad, like you are doing yourself a serious disservice by not watching that show. It's one of one of the greatest shows to me of all time and you could make the argument that it's the best show in the last you know 15 to 20 years. Like really of the entire like 2000s to now, you could put Breaking Bad uh top 10 ways to save the world. Well, I mean I I know what one of the top ones would be and fund and I think you and I would probably agree on that. But um, let's see, Bill, I will leave you with Scott Farkas. Scott Farkas is another good one. Um, I will say real quick before uh, we do close out here. So um, I mentioned this uh, on the show last week, but the review slash interview hybrid shows that have been happening over the last few months uh, on this podcast uh, are no more. So if I land an interview, that's going to be what the entire show will be. And I'm actually going to toy around with the idea of doing some live interviews. I want to try at least one just to see how it goes. And then if, if I don't like it, then they'll just be pre-recorded. But part of it is when I, when I do a hybrid show, I'm thinking with the review portion, especially if I have a guest on, then I'm like, okay, well, I don't want this to go too long because I'm going to have an interview that I have to tack on to the end of the show. If I'm doing an interview, I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't want to go too long because I have a review that I have to tack on to the show. So to me, it's just the fair thing to do if I'm doing a review or a roundtable discussion, then we give as much time as possible to that. And then if I have an interview... You know, it's almost been kind of a crippling thing for me that I keep interviews at 30 minutes or less because there are times that I've wanted to keep the conversation going, but then I'm like, I don't want it to go too long, so then 
I wrap things up and then I'm like, oh, that could have been better. So I think it'll create a little more consistency. But as I've said, you know, the, the live portion of the show is not going to completely go away. You know, it, it's still going to be around, just not as much. Like I might toy around with the idea of doing a top 10 list once a month or, you know, do like a like a top 10 list one show a month, then do a review for another episode and then do two interviews and that fills out the month. It really depends on on how things go. But I, I do want to get back to to doing the interviews because it, it's what my show was initially built on and it's been an aspect that I've neglected really over the last, I'd say, two or three months because I haven't really been putting out any. So that that's just some slight changes that are going on. Nothing too major, but as I've said, you know, the live portion and the reviews and the roundtables aren't going to go away. They just won't be as frequent because then it makes them more special. But um, I think that's where I'm going to wrap up uh, tonight's show. Thank you guys for watching live here on Facebook. Thank you to those who are listening on the download. If you want to check out past episodes of the show, you can find me on all podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And also thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>